that we sang. And Lord, uh, we would just pray that you are our all in all. And Lord, we would also just pray today that uh, we, would, we would remember who you are and, and what you've done for us. And Father, uh, we would pray today uh, that your promise would hold true, that your word would not return void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today is the first Sunday of a new year, and uh, you know what that means. That means lots and lots of resolutions. Many people have been going out, and they've been making resolutions. Perhaps you've gone out, and you've made a, a resolution, and uh, you know, you're going to stick to something this year and go and, and make this, this great decision. Maybe your resolution this year was that you weren't going to have any resolutions. I, I'm not sure. That sometimes people have those. Um, but as we're in the midst of, of making resolution or in this midst of, of living one out or in this midst of what we might call resolution season, I started thinking about that and a few different resolutions that are in Scripture. And I, we're going to compare two resolutions today. And so the title of this sermon is, Is Our Resolution from Heaven or from Hell? Is our resolution from heaven or from hell? And we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture today. One that we read in Scripture reading in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 16. So let's go ahead and let's turn there. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 16. And of course, this is uh, Joshua as, as he is just before he is about to pass away. And he is going and addressing Israel one last time here, this people of Israel. And he is telling them to go and to do something very specific. And, and he's going and challenging them. But in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 16, it says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, that they were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites whose, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And of course, there we see that resolution of Joshua. And we're going to look at him in that resolution in just a moment. But I want us to, to go and we're going to start this morning with the resolution from hell in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, and, and perhaps really it's not from hell, perhaps it merely just led to hell, as we're going to see the resolution of Satan himself, or Lucifer is what he's called in this chapter, uh, in, this, in this scripture. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, this is what Lucifer had to say. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of, of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. We see here that this passage marks a resolution from hell. This is, it is Satan's resolution. He resolved, I 
will is what he said. And this is what I want us to see here. The, the first point I want us to see here today is the resolution from hell. And, and the first thing I want us to notice about this resolution from hell is that it is a selfish resolution. It is a selfish resolution. We think of this passage of scripture and there are two words that mark this passage of scripture that make this passage of scripture infamous, so to say. And that is the words, I will. I will. The first sin to enter this world started with these words, and these words are, I will. The first sin, do we realize that? The first sin entered into this world with the phrase, I will, said Satan. Now, I want us to understand something. These words are not always bad. These two words, I will, they're not always bad. It depends upon the context. We must never forget that these words, uh, though, are synonymous with the first sin. It is generally thought of as pride as the first sin, and rightly so. Undoubtedly, uh, Satan's heart was definitely raised, and his opinion of himself was definitely raised, and he was definitely prideful, but selfishness accompanied this first sin of pride. In fact, it's, it's, it's rare, I would say, that pride is ever not accompanied by selfishness, but these two always walk abreast together. They always come together. They always walk hand in hand. They always stay right next to each other. Pride and selfishness, they are inseparable. Selfishness accompanied it. Now, of course, so did idolatry. Idolatry also accompanied this first sin of pride. And of course, once again, uh, idolatry, selfishness, and pride are three things that are always together. When we are prideful in ourself, when we go and we, we, we have that pride, that elevated view of ourself, well... That's a pretty good sign we're going to be selfish, right? When we are viewing ourselves as so great. But then also, when we don't just have that pride and selfishness, when we are elevating ourselves, it also is idolatry. It also becomes idolatry because we are going and worshiping something other than God. We are setting ourselves in an elevated position, one that we ought not have. And this is exactly what Lucifer is doing here in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15 is where we are this morning. A, a lesson we can learn from this here right away is that sin multiplies instantaneously. Sin multiplies instantaneously. You know, we, a lot of times we, we might realize that we're within a sin and we start to justify that sin and that's always wrong when we justify that sin. We stop and we think to ourselves, you know what, it's just a little sin. It's, it's just an itty bitty tiny sin. So you know what, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Now, first of all, all sins are big deal, are, are a big deal. This is why Christ died on the cross for us, is because of our sin. But do we realize something here that it's never just? If there even was such a thing as an itty bitty sin, it couldn't just be an itty bitty sin. You see, sin multiplies, it multiplies. It's, it's like rabbits. It's never just one rabbit. Have you ever noticed that? There's never just one. There's always about 5,000 of them, right? That's, that's how it works. They, they just go and they multiply. You don't even know how it happens. You're just sitting here going, one day there's little bunny foo-foo, and then it's little bunny army of 700 foo-foos, right? I mean, it's just incredible. That's exactly how sin is. It goes and it starts, and we think it's just one, but in reality, it's accompanied by other sins, there are tons and tons of other sins. Sin always multiplies. 
But we need to understand here that selfish resolution that Satan had, it's common today. This selfish resolution that Satan had, it is common today. On the theologically liberal side, we can see this, and we often call this as the health and wealth gospel. We call this the health and wealth gospel. Now, we need to understand something here. God doesn't want us to live in, in poverty. There are plenty of, of principles in Scripture that point to financial stability and even financial success. So when I'm going and I'm picking on the health and wealth gospel, I'm not preaching a, a poverty gospel that we should all live in poverty poverty and not have any money and that, that we're not really a good Christian if we don't have ragged clothes and things like that. No, you go read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs uh, has plenty of financial uh, uh, advice and not just advice, but, but standards for us to tell us, hey, do this, don't do this. And, and if we go and obey the book of Proverbs, we're going to come out at least decently financially our needs are going to be taken care of at least in that sense uh, that it's going to be taken care of we're going to have food on the table we're going to have a roof over our head and things like that but on this theologically liberal side you have this health and wealth gospel this health and wealth gospel and this is a selfish resolution that is marked by the I will of self-gratification the I will of self-gratification. And this is actually what I think uh, often as is, is most New Year's resolutions are defined by this. You know, I will lose weight. Now, hold on here. There's nothing wrong necessarily with that. But, but let me finish off the phrase here. I will lose weight so I can feel good. I will make more time for relaxation so that I can enjoy life. I will pay down my debt so that I can retire early or afford a vacation. I will get in shape so I can feel better about my body. Do you catch all of those personal pronouns there, the I's, the me's, all those kind of things there? It is self-centered. It is self-centric. Now understand something in here, and we're going to look at this. All of these goals might be good in their destination. It might be good to lose weight. It might be good to save money. It might be good to pay down debt. It might be good to relax more. It might be good to do all these things. In fact, I'd say most of those things, it, it, they are good. They are good. The destination is good. But their motivation is wrong. Their motivation is wrong. And that's what we're looking at today. I will lose weight so that I can be a good steward of what God gave me. I will make more time for relaxation so that I can be better rested to serve God. I will pay down debts so that I can be more effective for God. I will get in shape so that I can have more endurance to serve God. These are the type of motivations that we find in Scripture. It's not about us. It's not about us. Isn't that a difficult thing for us to understand? Even in destinations even at the, the end result of something that benefits us as Christians, it's still not about us. It's still not about us. Our motivations should be distinct. They should be God-centric. We should be going and looking to glorify God. We should be looking to go and to praise God. We should be looking to go and to serve God. And a lot of these have good benefits for, our, for ourselves because remember, what did Christ say in John chapter 10? He came to give us life and life more abundant. It's not that, that, that we are going and taking a hit and living a miserable life as a Christian. That's not what it is. It's that it is the best life. It's the best life 
to go and to live a life that is centered upon God, that is seeking for his benefit, even above our benefit, even though we still might benefit from doing those things. I want us to be aware that selfish resolutions also take root not just in the theologically liberal side, but also in the theologically conservative side of things. On the theological conservative or the conservative theological world, and this is going by the name of Christian egotism. Christian egotism. And this is a philosophical idea that really seems to be gaining some popularity. This Christian egotism within the conservative side of Christianity. And it's conservative because it has a lot of roots in conservative uh, politics. Christian flavor. The idea here is that God is an egotist. So that we should follow suit and be egotists and we should be looking out as ourselves. Now I'm going to say this carefully here because they would not go and say that we should be viewing ourselves as number one. They would still say, no, God is on his throne and they'll wax eloquently about that. So I'm not going to say that we should view, that they would present that we should view ourselves as number one. But they would go and present that we should view ourselves as one and a half. As one and a half or one B to God's one A, so to say. They would go and present that in such a way that we should be going and looking at ourselves in such a great place. No, in Christian egotism, it's shallow theologically, and in practice, it only views sin as ends and ignores that sin is also means and motivation. See, this is what we're looking at today here. A lot of our ends might be good. In Christian egotism, they present good ends. They present good ends. Hey, go and and be financially free. That's a good thing. They'll go and they'll say, hey, go and and amass wealth and and live a life that that, that is is good for you, in a sense. And and a lot of those things are are good things, those ends. The problem is, is that our motivation is sin. God does not just simply judge us on our ends as to what we do, but also why we do them. In Christian egotism, it is theologically shallow. It does not account for that. It does not account for that motivation. I want us to also notice, though, here in our passage, that it is not just a selfish resolution that Satan had. It was also an idolatrous resolution. It says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. It is a resolution that places something or someone equal or above God. This is what Satan was resolved to do. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be above God. He wanted to take God's place. And when we stop and we consider, what about our resolution? Are we resolving? Are we resolving in an idolatrous way? Are we following suit after Satan in our resolutions? You see, this always goes hand in hand with selfishness. But there's more to it than just this. Some people would make resolutions that do not put God in their proper place and they elevate the things into the place that God 
ought to dwell. Think about that for a moment. It's not just simply that it is a self-centered resolution that we might have a motivation of self, but it might also be that we have a resolution that is taking the place of God. If you've made a resolution to go to the gym, but you struggled in 2019 with your daily devotions, you're an idolater of habit. If you made a revolution, uh, excuse me, not a revolution, but a resolution to lose weight, and yet you have reoccurring sin that hinders your walk with God, you are an idolater because you have more important weight to take care of, according to Hebrews chapter 12. If you've made a resolution to pay down debt, and yet you struggle to give to God, then you're an idolater of pocketbook. If you've made a resolution to spend more time relaxing or resting this year, uh, and you are f- as frequent as a blue moon in church attendance, then you're an idolater of priority. We need to understand here, it's not just simply that our resolutions might be self-centric, but it's might, it might be that we're making the wrong resolutions. It might be that we have a resolution in our life that, that we are going and making, and it might be a good thing. The problem is, is that it's not good if it gets elevated above the best things. That's the problem. See, we have these, these different ideas in Christianity. In Christianity, we have these different ideas that, that sin is always a negative. Sin is always a negative. Now, understand in one aspect, sin is always a negative. It always hinders our walk with God. It always goes and it hurts us in that sense. It always goes and it, it does these negative things in our life. But sin can come in the form of not just having a negative impact, negative impact, but being something that's positive in our life. Working out is a great positive. Having a good diet is a great positive. Having a good finances and paying down debt are great positive things. You should do those things. But if those things, in fact, I, I would say that if we're uh, to, to some aspects of those things, if we're not doing those things, you can make an argument that we might be sinning as, as we're not being good stewards of what God has given us. But if those things become idolatrous, if our pocketbook becomes our God, if our body becomes our God, if, if our, our diet becomes our God, the issue is, is what? It's a positive thing that has taken the place of God would become idolaters. Satan's resolution was not just a selfish resolution. It was also an idolatrous resolution. We must not elevate the priority of important secondary issues. They are important. They're important. Don't go and say I, that, that the pastor came and he preached that, that, that losing weight was a sin. Or, or, or that going, you know, if, if you struggle with anorexia, that might be a sin. But, but, but we need to understand these things. Paying down debt is not a sin. It's a good thing. These things are good things, these resolutions. But they're secondary issues to the core fundamental practices of the Christian life. If they're getting in the way of the core fundamental things of our daily Bible reading, of our, our, our church worship, of, of, our, of our prayer, of our giving, of our using of our gifts and our abilities for God, then they become elevated. They become idolatrous. A good thing has become a snare to us. And it's not that we ought to quit those good things, but it is that we ought to reprioritize and get them in the right position. It's important. 
I want us to also notice that Satan's resolution, not only was it selfish, not only was it idolatrous, but it was also against God's design. Do we understand that God designed Lucifer? He designed him as a, as a chief angel, not, not an archangel, but a chief angel, the, the, the most beautiful angel. He, he was a, a, a wonderful, wonderful creature that was associated with going and worshiping God almost continually. God designed him as a wonderful thing. Satan's resolution, though, it went against God's design. Instead of going and accepting his position as God designed him, he said, I will! I will be better than what God intended me to be. I will be different than what God intended me to be. Now understand here, this is a lie. You cannot be better than what God designed because God designed you best. He designed each and every one of us best. He designed, his design is best. Isn't that wonderful to think about? There are resolutions that are selfish, even though they have good ends. There are resolutions that have the wrong priority, even though the resolution should have, the, uh, should have a priority. Then there are some that simply go against God's design. Now, I won't spend much time on this because I trust that, that you are people that haven't made these kind of resolutions. But if you have made a resolution of open sin, God is calling you to repent today. If you have resolved today to chase that relationship that you shouldn't because it is against God's design of marriage, or if you have resolved to spend money on sinful vices, or if you have resolved today to walk away from God, this is God's warning and a call to repent. Now, I won't spend much time on that because I trust that's not your resolution. But understand, if you have a resolution of open rebellion against God's design, God is calling you to repent even now. But what are the results of Satan's resolution? What were the results? First of all, it weakened others. And this is something that we need to understand and remember. It weakened others. In verse 12, it said this. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. What you resolve impacts others. It is not just something that affects you. What you resolve, it impacts others. It's not just what impacts you. First of all here, it mentions the nations. See, what in individuals or what individuals have truly resolved in their hearts this new year will dictate the direction of our nation. Now, there are plenty of people who go and they write down a resolution and they're not really going to do it. Some people don't even write down the resolutions. But, but I'm talking about the true heart's resolution. The, the true idea of what the heart is set upon. That there are so many people, and, and, and we look at this, every one of us really does have, each one of us, we have a resolution in our heart. And what the majority of our nation as individuals, what we go and we resolve with our heart, it will be the resolve of our nation. If we resolve to live in apathy and eat Big Macs, we're going to become an apathetic, overweight nation. Understand that, okay? 
If we go and we resolve morally to go and to do what we want to do, we are going to live in moral anarchy as we have been living in moral anarchy in the United States that is totally shaking our fist at God morally. If we resolve as individuals, as a majority of our nation, to spiritually to go and to worship ourselves, to put something in place of God, we will live and resolve to be an idolatrous nation. That's how it works. That's how it works. Our resolve, each one of us, is part of that in our nation. And so in that sense, it impacts our nation. Our heart has a resolution as a part of that. But also understand something. Each one of our resolution, not just does it impact our nation, it also impacts our interactions with others. It impacts our, our, our relationship with others and it impacts others. And it impacts the kind of influence we have on them. And the other thing I want us to realize, the result of Satan's resolution is in verse 15. It says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan's resolution, it led to hell. That's where it led. That's why what we're looking at is our resolution from heaven or from hell. Personally, it can lead an unsaved person to hell. If they live for themselves, to be idolatrous and to go against God's design, and they never accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, it will lead them to hell. But our resolutions, they can also lead others to hell. Will you talk to your unsaved friend about your new diet when you should be talking to them about your new life in Christ? Will you share with your unsaved new acquaintance the secret of your wonderful physique when you should be telling them the secret to eternal life? Will you tell your unsafe family member the decision it takes to get out of debt when you should be telling them the decision it takes to get out of eternal debt by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior? Now, those first three things, you know, your, your wonderful diet, your secret to get out of debt, your wonderful physique, those aren't necessarily terrible things to talk about. But the question is, is will we make the time to tell people about Jesus Christ. Will we take the time to do that? If we have not resolved in our hearts that we will share Jesus Christ with others, we won't do it. Earlier this week, um, I want to say it was Tuesday, maybe. No, it wasn't Tuesday. I don't remember what day it was. This is the week that I didn't know what day it was any of the days of the week. I'm sure you guys struggled with that too. But earlier this week, I, I went into town and I had some, some running to do. And I, I ended up going, uh, boy, I don't even remember the first place. I went out for breakfast with somebody and then I went and got my hair cut. And then I uh, went and, uh, and, and picked up a, a donut for Sarah. Sarah said, hey, her New Year's resolution is she wants to eat a donut today, right? That's a great New Year's resolution right there. No, she didn't say that was her New Year's resolution. 
But I had read a quote uh, or a story from, about D.L. Moody who said that, that he had resolved uh, to tell uh, every single day, tell at least one person about Jesus Christ. And he would not go to bed until he had told one person about Jesus Christ. And so he said, you know, I don't know if anybody else is going to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, but at least 365 people, and this year it would be 366 because it's a leap year, I think, we, we, that they would hear about Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. I thought about that and I got convicted and I thought about Jesus Christ today. And so at first I, I, I get into it and I'm all excited and I get out there in the restaurant and, and, and it just doesn't happen. It was really busy where I, I couldn't quite tell the waiter uh, about Jesus Christ there. And, and that disappointed me, but I thought, yeah, it's okay. I'm going to go get my haircut. And we went and, and I got my haircut and I got closer to telling somebody about Jesus Christ. We ended up talking about religion. But, but the fear of man was struck into me. I thought, you know, is it really best to go into anger somebody who's, who's got clippers over your hair right now? I mean, that might not be a good situation. I, I might end up pretty bald. Now, that was, that was a terrible decision. It was a terrible decision. So I went to, to go pick up this donut and I thought, I have to tell the person about Jesus Christ. And and I did tell the person about Jesus Christ, but the point that I want to make here is not to tell you, wow, look at me, how great I am, or wow, look at me, how terrible I am. That's not the point I want to make. I want to make this point here. It is difficult enough when you are resolved to tell someone about Jesus Christ, to tell them about Jesus Christ. It is impossible to tell someone about Jesus Christ when you are not resolved to tell someone about Jesus Christ. What are we resolved to talk about today? But I want us to look at, about, at the resolution from heaven. The resolution from heaven, and let's go over to Joshua chapter 24. And we're gonna see verses 14 through 16. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 16. And as I mentioned here, this is, this is the resolution or the challenge here that Joshua is giving to Israel at the end of his life. But in verses 14 through 16 of Joshua chapter 24, it says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and Egypt Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I want us to notice here that a resolution from heaven as opposed to one from hell, it is focused on God. We looked at Satan, his resolution, it was a selfish resolution. It was focused on himself. But notice here, the resolution that Joshua presents, it is a resolution that is focused on God. Notice these phrases, fear the Lord, serve him. We will serve the Lord. Joshua's resolution was centered around God. Joshua's resolution relegated him to God's servant. It was set on the will of God. Now, I want us to notice this here. We're not talking about the, the ends of, of a resolution. 
Okay, what we are resolving, we're talking about the why we are resolving. And this is why it was wrong for Satan here. Well, uh, he also had wrong ends too. But this is, that idea of a selfish resolution is wrong, maybe not on what it resolves. It might be good on what it resolved, but the question is, is why did it resolve it? Why did we resolve it? Well, why did we resolve to go and in, in, in to be in the, the, the best shape we could possibly be in? Why did we resolve to eat the best diet that we could possibly have? Why did we resolve to lose the weight that we resolved to lose? Why did we resolve to go and to get relaxation? Why did we resolve to pay down debt? Why did we resolve to do these things? Those ends are good. Those ends are good. But here Joshua gives us the proper means, the proper motivation for this resolve, and that is to serve the Lord, to be focused on God. Joshua's resolution relegated him to God's servant. It was set on the will of God. You know, a bond servant, which is, is something that is often talked about in the New Testament. It really is a, a fancy, nice word for slave. Now, it means a willing slave. But, but it is a slave who has lost his will. Or, excuse me, he hasn't lost his will. It is a slave whose will is consumed by the will of his master. This is what Joshua was doing. He was saying, no matter what I do, if I do these good things, it's going to be because I'm seeking the will of God. I'm consumed to be the best that I can be for God because I'm God's slave. I'm God's servant. We will serve the Lord. Serve him, says Joshua. It is a resolution that recognizes God is also on his throne. See, Satan's resolution was selfish. Satan's resolution was idolatrous. Satan's resolution was against God's design. But Satan's resolution, or excuse me, Joshua's resolution was the opposite. It was a resolution focused on God, but it was also a resolution that recognized God is on his throne. You can't serve someone that doesn't have a throne over you. You can't serve someone who isn't your master. Now, it might not be in an ultimate sense as we go and we serve others. It might not be that we are masters over one another. But in that moment, when we are serving someone, we are relegating ourselves to them. And when we are going and serving God, truly we are viewing Him as master. We're viewing Him as Lord. Satan was a selfish idolater. Joshua is God-focused and resolved to worship God. Take account of your resolutions today. Also notice it is a resolution within God's design for Joshua. God's design is to serve him. Isn't that pretty simple? God's design is that we might serve him. He didn't design us to serve ourselves. He designed us that we might ultimately, priority number one, Be a servant of God. He is the creator. All things ought to work for him because he created us. 
Also, it talks about serving God in sincerity, not just outwardly, is this idea. You know, there are a lot of people who might go through the motions serving God, might go and do the right things and just simply go through the motions. But we ought to do it with sincerity of heart. Are we truly convicted in our heart to serve God? Or is it just, you know, it's, it's just what I do. It's, it's just the thing that I tend to do. It ought to be in sincerity. Also in truth, truth is always God's design. That's something we need to understand. Our world doesn't get that today. Our world thinks that, that, that nice lies are better than hard truths. Have you noticed that? Just lie to me is what people say. Just lie to me. I want to feel good about myself. Just lie to me so, so I can go and pat my back. Give me a nice participation. I accomplished something because last place really isn't that bad, right? Don't tell me I came in last place. Tell me I participated and did well and give me a nice attaboy. That's our world today. It would rather have soft Loving is what they like to call it, lies, than hard truths. The Word of God teaches us a different story, though. It says, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Have you thought about that? Today our world likes the smooches of our enemies much more than we like the wounds of our friends. In fact, if you're a friend who's willing to wound, you're, you're probably going to be outcasted. If you're somebody who's willing to go and to tell the truth, tell it unapologetically, you're going to be, be, be relegated to an outcast, deemed as a hateful individual. And as you go in the Christian world and you say, but I'm proclaiming the truth, they go and they say, yeah, but you did do it in a nice way. Well, you ever read your Bible? You know, I'm sure when Jesus turned to Peter, and by the way, if, if you're going to put a standard on a human being, you got to make sure Jesus could live up to it. When Jesus turned to Peter, he looked at him and said, oh, Get thou behind me, Satan. Oh. I'm sure that's just how he said it. He looked at the, the, the Pharisees and said, Oh, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you're a whitewashed tomb. That's how he said it. I know it because this is what everybody tells me. That's what they say. Oh, don't be harsh. Yeah, read your Bible. That's what I say. Now, I know that's rough. But we live in a world today that is so contrary to the word of God. So contrary. Understand something. The only way we can please God the only way we can stand unashamed before the judgment seat of God is if we get the unfiltered Bible. It's not just today, by the way. It's, it's been every day. A thousand years in the past, if they didn't get, if people didn't get and live the unfiltered Bible truth, and they didn't live their life according to that filtered Bible truth. They stood 
and are going to stand in shame at the judgment seat. And unfortunately, because we refuse to give the unfiltered Bible, despise it. There are many people who are going to be at the wrong judgment. They're going to be at the great white throne judgment. Not just in shame, but with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because they're going to be cast into hell. People today are loving people to hell. It's unfortunate. But it was within God's design, Joshua's resolution. It was in sincerity. It was with, with a real heart, not just outward actions. It was with truth. But, but it, was, it was also this idea that he went and he said uh, uh, to go and to put other gods away, to not share our service with other gods is what Joshua said. He, and, and what an incredible statement as Joshua goes and he resolves. And what does he turn to those people of Israel? He goes and he says, if the Lord be God, if you have found him to be God, serve him. But choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day. And he's going and he's saying, look, be committed. Be committed. We ought not go and worship God on Sunday. And forget about him on Monday. We ought not worship God on Sunday and worship a different God on Monday. Joshua is saying, don't be a Sunday Christian. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day. It was also a resolution within God's design because he says it is for our family to serve God. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve God. We will serve the Lord. Today, our resolution should be marked with a focus on God and not ourself. The motivation should be right. I know it might seem like I've been going and bashing on common resolutions. And if you made those common resolutions, I'm not bashing on the ends of them. I'm not bashing on the resolution itself. The only thing I'm asking is that you consider why are you making that resolution? Why are you making that resolution? Are you making it for God's glory or are you making it for your own self-satisfying? And if it's for your own self-satisfying, that's not a good enough reason. Make it for God's glory. Do that good thing. Also recognize God is God. They should be resolutions that end in pleasing God. We ought not to be so consumed by our resolution that we forget about our mandate to tell others about Jesus Christ. We ought not forget about our mandate to be in God's word. We ought not forget about our mandate to pray to God. Make sure those resolutions are not taking the place of God or the things of God. Also, they should be your resolution should not be sinful. I trust that no one made any sinful resolutions today. We should not seek to have open sin in our life, but rather we should seek to have open obedience to God in our life. And what was the result, though, of Joshua's resolution? The result was that it strengthened others. His family, he said, but as for me and my house, first of all, it strengthened others, it strengthened his family. But also it strengthened his nation. The people answered and said, 
Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now, it might have only strengthened them in that moment, knowing the history of Israel and the next book after Joshua is Judges and how they went into several cycles. But nonetheless, at least in that moment, it strengthened them. But also notice, it encourages others to heaven. Remember, the result of Satan's resolution was that it could take others to hell. But how many godly homes have been impacted by Joshua's resolution? How many homes have lived by the motto, not just written it, not just had it above their their door mantle or, or something like that, but have actually lived by this idea of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many? There's probably an innumerable, well, God knows the number, But we probably couldn't name as many people as we even know that that had godly families. And those godly families, perhaps you came from one where where your family went and said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that impacted you. And and that, and that, that testimony of them saying, of somebody going and saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It it led to you hearing the gospel. It led to you having an example in your life that confirmed the gospel. And it led to you accepting the gospel in Jesus Christ as your savior. It encourages others to heaven, this resolution. The question comes, and this is the question that I really want us to, to focus who will your resolution impact think about that today you've resolved whether you know it or not you've you've resolved something in your heart whether you've actually written it down and said it's a new year's resolution we're always resolved to do something who is your resolution going to impact And how is it going to impact them? Is it going to lead others to heaven? Or is it going to lead others to hell? Today, as as we're in the midst of resolution season, I just want to ask these simple questions. Does your resolution resemble Lucifer's being selfish, idolatrous, against God's design? Or Joshua's, God-centered, God in his right place and within God's design. Will you resolve to be focused on God, recognize God as master, and to seek to live within God's design? Will you do that today? That is the question. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for this day and we thank you for the opportunity given us to come. And to worship you, we praise you for that, Father. And Lord, be glorified. And Lord, that we would be resolved to follow you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.